It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. With over 150 new and used cars to choose from, along with the full Renault commercial van range and finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. Now, my first guest on Late Lunch this afternoon, I met back in 2017, and it was through Ireland's Best Young Entrepreneur Competition. And as you know, all this week on Late Lunch, we've been focusing on business and success stories from it. Well, my God, has this man a success story. He is the co-founder of Hexafly, and I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch, Alvin Hunt. Alvin, great to see you again. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you very much for joining me, and it's great to have you here with us as well. Will you tell our listeners, because I've promoted today, and they've probably been listening to this thing and saying, Insect farming? What is he talking about? Yeah, so it's uh, it's what we do basically is uh, we produce uh, insect protein as a new sustainable protein source for animal feed, uh, for primarily for aquaculture and uh, uh, pet feed as well for, for for dogs and stuff. So we're we're replacing, I suppose, unsustainable proteins that are on the market, and uh, we're um, you know we're helping secure the global food supply uh, into the future by providing a new alternative protein source. So you rear insects, you feed them on what? What are these insects, and what type of insects are you talking about? Yeah, so we use uh, a black soldier fly um, is, is the main insect that is that we use, and um, so they're fed on a combination of a feed substrate that uh, that that we that we we give them. Um, so they they will feed on that. They will bioconvert that uh, that that uh, substrate. They will upcycle it then into into the different nutrients, and then we process them into oils and proteins. And these go off to the aquaculture and uh, yeah, animal feed industries. Um, and then we also have a byproduct from that, which is actually a fertilizer called frass, which we uh, which we sell as a natural fertilizer. Now people would be familiar with the blue bottle that flies around the house in summertime, and everyone wants to swat them and get rid of them. Are these flies? Sim- Similar to them, do you do you do you, do you know the way you see the eggs laid, the little white string of mm-hmm. eggs? Is, do you take them? Are they laid it, like it's, that? Yeah, uh, not in, not in the same way. So they would be very actually very different from the from the okay. blue bottles. It's it's more similar to a kind of a larger type of uh, fly. It's, okay, it, it's dark in color, but they're li- they would be very they wouldn't eat the same things as as, yes. as uh, okay. blue bottles. They yeah. would be mu- much different. Yeah. But are they are they uh, the same type of thing? They're laid by adult flies. They they. So there would be a breeding section that would, okay. that would that w- where that would happen. Well, there would be eggs. From? Eggs would be would be uh, laid, and then they would be then uh, taken to an, another 
a section called a hatchery and they hatch out and there's there's various different uh, okay, steps so in the process. Okay, so they go through the stages, the, yeah. the entomology that happens with Correct, insects yeah. and that as well. And then they're put on that feed and away they go. Do you use the whole insect or, or how does that work? Um, as a product? Yes. Uh, we, do, we don't we don't use the whole, whole insect. We, we generally, we would process them into the powders or the oils. Yeah. Um, per, but perhaps in the future you could you could use the whole insect for different things uh, mm. for different So uh, what parts are you using? What do you take from the, from So the, we we take the we take the oil which is the fatty acids. Okay. Um, so that that's very similar to coconut oil. I see. Um, and then the protein is similar to any type of protein product it looks like a uh, you know a dry protein powder basically. Okay. So but that is the body of of the insect that, that's, that's used that's and you correct. crush them to yeah. take the oils out. I, so there's no waste really with this, is there? there it's a it's a zero waste facility. We reutilize uh, everything uh, in in the factory. So there's no there is no uh, waste product produced. Everything mm. is, everything is used. You started this back when it's 17 I met you in Ireland's Best Young Entrepreneur and when you entered that and you did so well. My God Almighty, you swept the boards there, uh, winning and, you know, being a national star then after the, the conclusion of it. Where did this all begin and where did you get the idea from? Tell me again. Yes, yeah, so myself and uh, my co-founder John Lynham, who's a, is a local mead man himself, uh, we were in college together. But after, after we finished college, we, were, uh, we wanted to set up a business. We wanted to do something that was sustainable. Uh, something that was green and something that would would be in would be uh, uh, related to Ireland's agri agri sector as well and would with a new fresh forward kind of uh, look on it. Um, so we we had a couple of different ideas. We were looking at you know there's going to be a protein deficit in the future due to global population. What are some alternatives that can perhaps help uh, relieve that strain or, or, or new ideas? So we started experimenting ourselves. We were working part you know full time jobs separate to that, and then we uh, we put together a business proposal and uh, we decided to go full time with it. Was winning the young entrepreneur a huge shot in the arm? Absolutely, yeah. I know it was it was it was it was huge validation for, for us. It was it was a great moral boost at the time as well. Um, it gave us great confidence. Um, there was a lot of inbound interest then as well from that, which is is huge. You don't think you know you think it's kind of in, you know not really uh, sorry, you know you don't really think you'll get that much interest, but you do. Mm. So, so, so there was a lot of contacts and networks then that opened up to us as a result of that. And obviously, the funding side of it as well at the early stage was 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 really good and beneficial. But that that kind of um, allowed us to propel forward and 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 move move forward. Now you are in the news lately, and that's why you're here as well because you have secured a much more significant investment. And are you open in Ashbourne, or are going to open there? Yeah, so we're we're I suppose we're about ninety percent open there. Mm. We're we're we're, uh, we're almost uh, we're almost ready to launch, but um, everything is in place. So that's that's um, that's that's the, the current plant. Um, we hope in the future in, in uh, next year to uh, if things go well to raise another, another funding round and then open a much larger plant after that so. mm. How many people now how many so are involved here? There are 17 people now working for us um, so we I think uh, when I met when I met you first there was only um, there was only the four of us so now we've, we've met a big jump so it's it's going to look we hope to grow and we hope to keep the, the jobs local as well and um, in the county and uh, even for the next plant as well so. Yeah this is great news so this is a global business we're talking about here Absolutely, now. Yes. Yeah. So wh- wh- where are your 
plans, your vision for this? Where can you see? It can go global, yes? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, the world is, is a huge place. The global mm. economy is, 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 is so enormous. Um, just it's it's something that you can replicate everywhere. Animal feed and and and, and food is is is, uh, is all over the world in every country, um, and this is something that can can definitely in the next, you know, up until twenty fifty, this can just keep expanding and expanding. This is a new protein source, and this is a big story in terms of the the problems we're facing in this world with food. Absolutely, yeah, hundred um, percent. There's as the population grows, there's huge, huge demand on 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 land consumption, water usage, and energy required to uh, to produce and to keep you know to produce protein sources um, and to keep our agricultural system going on a global scale. So there's a lot of different strains in the supply chain there, and um, that will actually become more apparent as the years go on. So this is about uh, offering a new, uh, a sustainable uh, protein source that's actually good for good for the environment. It's good for the climate, you know. That it's good for helping with climate change, um, and uh, something that's actually of benefit to animals as opposed to using um, something that might might not be. Could we see the day in Ireland? You know the way we talk about beef and dairy and uh, all the associated as well. You know, you have the po- pork and r- raising of animals. Is there a day down the road that this is the big one? So, I, look, it's it's a new industry, and um, we're we're at the early stages, but uh, I can definitely see it growing, growing faster, um, and and going from strength to strength. Particularly um, the fact that you have the European Commission in Europe that's that's really kind of uh, supporting this and uh, this industry as as it's growing and you know really pushing forward on the legislation side. But um, I, I I can't look that far into the future to tell you, but yeah. I I see it definitely going for. Well, sure. can I give you encouragement because just before I came down, you know, I was doodling away and having a look at this, that and the other as you do and I come across on BBC right, on the website and this fascinated me and I think it was meant to be with you coming here today it said that breakfast in 2039 which is not that far away 20 years, right, will really be made up of insects and we could be eating crunchy nut cricket flakes yeah, I mean that's you're, that's becoming more popular in terms of the human side of it. You're looking at uh, there's certain countries in Europe now where you can le- where there's uh, uh, insect production for for human food products. I think it's Finland, Switzerland, mm. uh, the Netherlands, and things like that. You have uh, insect cricket flour and uh, various different other th- th- things like that. So I think it's, it, it, it'll be a while before that takes yeah. t- t- takes mm. on. You're t- you're talking about many many years, but uh, it's 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 definitely. Be- growing as as a trend definitely for sure I'll tell you a little secret you wouldn't have heard this but we have a, a monthly panel women with opinions they come in here and I fed the girls chocolate coated crickets last month oh wow <laughs> I told them afterwards by the way yeah, yeah. but you know what they enjoyed them. Yeah, well, I mean, in 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 in, uh, in Asia, and it's it, it's common practice. It's it's just a part of the mm. cuisine. Uh, you know, for a lot of Asian countries, they don't think twice about it. So, uh, <laughs> but I think it might be take a little bit more convincing on, on our part of the world. It's, but it certainly will. Yeah. But but it is. It just shows you the way things are moving. Because at the moment, with your uh, uh, product and that aquaculture, aquaculture in mm-hmm. in the sea and that the feeding of fish and that is a big thing for what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, um, aquaculture as an industry is it's just it's growing, growing very, very fast, um, and a lot of the the, the main uh, kind of feed ingredient that is used in that is fish meal, which is taken 
from mm. wild caught fish. Um, but it takes about two times the amount of wild caught fish to to, to grow uh, a farm fish. Um, so there's there, there's a, a, I suppose a supply issue there. So we're offering you know the insect protein is a good alternative to that, um, and it's uh, it's one that makes economic sense and mm. f- um, sense from a uh, you know a, a natural point of view as well because mm. most uh, carnivorous fish would eat insects anyways. Yes, in the wild. of course, yeah. of course. Sure, I'm a trout fisherman, and we're always yeah, trying yeah, to imitate yeah, absolutely, what yeah. they're actually picking up down sure. on the Well, they love the taste of it as well. They so, do, yeah. they do, and they grow fat on it. It yeah. just shows you and beautiful trout you 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 get from uh, the insect uh, diet. Um, it by extension now, and you mentioned the EU there. Swine and poultry feed as well. That's if, when that's given the go ahead, which is imminent, is it? Um, for poultry, there the, the things seem to have sped up a, a bit there. So I, I, what I what I was told recently was that it should, it should be quarter two of this year. Um, but I mean that that's subject to, uh, to to change. But for on the poultry side, definitely there's uh, there's a there is a bit of a push right now in Europe to mm. uh, to see, see see can they uh, open the gates there and, and good and God go. wouldn't that be some market that for would you be guys a, enormous market yeah. absolutely for yeah. sure because there are so much uh, poultry reared as well and this would be something else um, w- when you look at where you come from just a short time ago and where you are now it this continues exponentially the sky's the limit for hexafly yeah. <laughs> Look, things are things are things are going quite well, and 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 it's it's been a it's been a journey. But I mean, there's there's been lots of you know ups and downs, and uh, you know there's plenty of challenges as well that, that that you have to face and go through. But uh, things things are going well, and and uh, you know we're 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 excited about the future. Mm. For yourself, does this take uh, yourself and your co-founder, who you mentioned there as well? Uh, does it take? Seven days a week effort round the clock, or do you get a bit of time to get away from it and well, recharge your batteries? Yeah, well, I, I suppose I, you know, hiring a lot of new people kind of takes takes, yes. away, t- takes some of that burden away. But it's it's a full time job. It's around the clock. It's you know that I suppose any any anyone who has their own business, small business, can tell you the same. It's you know you have to be committed and. Uh, I mean, it can be it can be tough, but it's 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 very rewarding. So that's why we're doing it. And you mentioned to me new facility in Ashbourne, uh, getting up and running at the moment, almost there. You're you're looking to go bigger again. And w- would your hope be honestly? You know, I mentioned a global business. You may have to head abroad with production as well at some stage. But initially, in the immediate term, it's it's here in Ireland. Absolutely. I mean, initially, the next big plant we'd like to be in Ireland 100% but uh, there's there's room then to expand after that and would be there would I suppose uh, global uh, uh, we'd be looking globally then after that Ireland's best young entrepreneur just before we finish it's important to mention it because the closing date coming up on the 15th of March we've been talking about it here on the show you're an example of what it's done for you. You'd obviously recommend it highly. 100%. Yeah, no, it's well worth doing. I mean, it's well worth applying for. The whole process, you learn, grow, develop, and you'll, you'll, you'll open up a massive network to yourself. And, and you know, if, if, you, if you can get there and, and get through and win, it's, it's, it's a fantastic achievement. And it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderfully organised programme as well. It's 100% recommended. <laughs> We have great wits listening to this show. I'm just after getting a message in in my Fitbit to tell me I'd hate to be a fly on the wall there now, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were, you'd be seeing a most brilliant entrepreneur. And I just want to say again, I, I have such admiration for yourself and John yeah. uh, for what you've launched and where this Thank is you. going as well. It's brilliant. And it just shows you the talent we have in this country with Thank young you. people. Congratulations to you both on what you've achieved so far far and the very best for the future and I'm sure down the road we'll be talking again but thank you I appreciate you dropping in today Alvin. No problem. Alvin Hunt from Hexafly. Thanks. Thank you.
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Cajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. We've touched base with him many times in New York City and I'm delighted to say he's here with me face-to-face in studio today, Nigel McKenna. You're so welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. I really do appreciate it. You're home on a visit to see your mum, Kathleen. Tell them what age she is. 93. And she's keeping you know, well? She's keeping well, yeah. And I want to say hello to Kathleen this afternoon because she is one great woman. How many were children were in your family? There was 17 initially. Well, she had to give birth 17 times and uh, six passed before I was born. But they were all born and maybe mm. dialed in cots, dead. So, you know, yes. at, at, at that time when I had a twin, one of my sister's twins died. And then there was 11. There's 11 of us left. Alive. Yeah. And you're the young, you're I'm the, the kid. I'm still the baby. You're the baby. 50 years of age. <laughs> <laughs> my God, 17. When you think of 17 children, families were big, weren't they, back then? Yeah. Families were big. Was, you know, it was accepted that the families were just that size. Today, one or two is the average. My times have changed, haven't they? And look, your mother then had had all these children. Your dad, Matthew, uh, met his end, died at a young age. And you were very young, weren't you? Yeah, I was seven. He died at 54 in a car accident. Just That was the time when people, seatbelts was new and he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And he was a passenger and he just uh, broke his neck in the car. Yeah. And your mum was left with the 11 of you? 11 of us, but one or two were married at yeah. the time and they had their own, no, getting, finding okay. their way in. Yes. But yeah, there was at least nine at home at the time. Some job for Some one job, woman. Yeah. And she made a great job of all of you, we know that. You grew up in Kilcurley and, and went to school there. Yeah. You were an altar boy. Yeah, I was an altar boy and I loved being an altar boy because it was, um, I would go there and it was, what was had its benefits, where you would uh, I was there every morning before school, and I wasn't fond of school, so I would sit with the priest, you no, know, being altar boy, and I would get I would the school I think tossed out at ten past nine, and I wouldn't get to school to nine thirty or nine forty because I was the altar boy every day, and then it and sometimes you'd have uh, weddings or funerals, and I always look forward to that because I always got a few bob, and then I head down to the shop, you know, with the <laughs> with the money. So. And in that time, someone would, you know, would come to be an altar buyer and we'd say, you were never an altar buyer all year. Now you want to be an altar buyer because someone passed away to get to the... To get, get the few bob as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. But look, at you hadn't a lot of money growing up. Times were tough. Your mother had yeah. a, you had a roof over your head. You were well-clothed, fed. You could ask for nothing in those terms. Oh, yeah, we had everything. We were yeah. well-dressed, our shoes polished. We were... A loving home. A loving home. And then we'd, we'd walk, you know, we like. No, she never told us. We just knew that, you know, in the summertime, picking strawberries. And then when you got, um, as you went on in age, you then you could you could pick spuds. And you'd be picking spuds. So you I, worked at all those jobs? Worked at all those jobs and I'd be picking spuds. And I remember wearing socks on my hands for gloves. And, you know, you would look at the planes going to America and, you know, you'd say, one day, I'm going to go. And you had that dream as you were a young boy in the fields working away? Yeah, I always knew I'd go. Because even when I go around selling raffle tickets to the homes in Kincaid, every house nearly I go into, they'd say, young fella, there's nothing for you here. If I was young again, I'd get out of here and go somewhere. The people would say to me all the time. So at 20 years of age, I you took that aeroplane? Yeah, $326. In your pocket? Yeah. That's all you had? 
and then I'd walk. I remember the smell in New York City wasn't very pleasant. It was like the, someone had sprayed crack, uh, uh, manure back home. It was like that smell. And I was when like, you get off the, plane, off the plane, I know. I, I experienced that myself many moons ago. What hits you? What hits you, yeah. So then I'd, I'd, I'd be walking the streets looking for a job from 59th Street every day all the way downtown. Eventually I got a job working, uh, making coffee, making coffee and doing sandwiches. And, and because of my accent, was, my brogue was very strong. I wasn't a waiter. So I stuck behind the counter. But the people from Wall Street that would come in all the time would always say to me, what are you doing? You're too young. You need to go back to school. And they would always say, you know, especially someone of Irish descent, they would always say, you know, you have to go back, you know. And I remember um, one day there was a man in there and he was sitting with his feet up on the, on the, on the table and he ordered a cappuccino and a cheesecake. And I went out to him and I just had a habit being funny. I says, would you do that at home? And he looked at me and he goes, you're right. And he put his feet down and then he said, you're as Irish as to come. And that was JFK Jr. So it was it was funny. <laughs> you didn't know who he was. Didn't know who God, he you was. put him in, a, in his place now. He said, but listen, he took on board what you said to him. And I was very respectful. Yes. Very so, so you worked there down in that district, in that coffee shop. And, you know, those words that they kept saying to you, go back. You know, go. go to school. Yeah, people would come in and give me books like the Series Seven exams, where it was, you'd read about the stocks and the bonds. Um, they would say you should take these tests, and but I would just read it, but I wouldn't go for the test. You, you weren't legal at that stage. You had no, no status or whatever. Where did you live? I lived. About, I had a brother over there. And I lived with him. Okay, and uh, you know, I was making maybe a hundred dollars a day in tips. There was no salary, mm. so I remember at one stage I think I had maybe eleven or twelve thousand dollars under my pillow. You know, just just cash, and just you never got sick, and you never, you know, you never relied on anybody. You just kept working away, and then eventually, I decided that uh, I would go home. You know, it was just after two eighteen months. It was there was no words. It was just I was, but I was uh, cleaning apartments. I was I was advertising in, in magazines from the people that work. There was like you know, the the company papers, and I'd say, young lad, I always say, young student out. And I get people call me up to clean their apartments. So I was cleaning apartments, making coffee, and I was working all the time. And then the, you would go to like play softball with Irish teams on, on the weekends and you'd make friends. And there was no drinking at the time because you never, if you get into the drink, then you fall into it. And then it's just a habit. And then, you, you know, you spend all your money. Well, mm. you just, you know, you go to the pub, you play softball, and then you bit of darts and go home and there's a bit of crack and you yes do, you and know. you enjoyed that was your outlet as well you left America where did you go I went then to France went to work for Disney you Disney you got a job there did got you got a job there as a custodial um, which was I remember interviewing in Dublin and you know they saw them wherever they saw they saw their ambition so they said come over and everybody else that was going out at the time was, was speaking French and um, I went over and Within two weeks, I was moved from the custodial, it hadn't opened yet, to the bars. And then I was in charge of all the bars in Disney. OK, and this was the new Euro Disney outside Paris, yeah. fresh start. So then you were put in charge of of that area there. Um, you met your wife. Yeah, with my wife, Chloe. She was Italian. One of Someone asked me to manage an event, a party, so I put that together. And she was one of the managers there. And we just, we met there. And at the same time, I applied for the green card in the lotto. You know, back in the States. Back in the States. I applied for the green card and just you mailed it in and I got accepted. But then you had to go within the year. 
and my wife wanted to go to America. I was happy. I was working. France is a great country for if you just want to work and live a nice life. You have uh, four days on, four days off. You're working 10 hours a day, which I was doing. And uh, I was happy. But, but the money wasn't great. You never, you just have a simple. But my wife was the one who wanted to go back to the States. And while I was at Disney, believe it or not, Disney has a Disney University. So those people who teach finance and teach different areas that you wanted to do so for me I had no heat in school but now when I'm 22 I want to learn and I'm like going and I'm listening to the to the best managers that used to work for Marriott and I do giving free lectures and it was great so I was learning and then eventually my wife we we took off and went to New York and we started and you had education under your wing then from Paris I had education on the wing in Paris but when I got to New York my wife uh, and then the voices from everything in my head come back from when I took I went back to school for night time for six years because I didn't finish um, if you want secondary school here I left after the inter so um, you had to pay and uh, I was working for the, the Ian Shrey I got a job with Ian Shrey but I was working for the when I was working for the Hyatt in the beginning um, they didn't have procedures and Disney believe it or not I was uh, very good at putting together how everything should run and how, how uh, implementations and how you at the hotel group is it? yeah yes. so I went with them and I implemented uh, front office procedures for like 120 hotels and I moved from Hyatt and actually Trump I met Trump in the Hyatt at the time because I saved him he was getting taxed because he's always getting taxed but back then he's getting taxed for occupancy uh, for two dollars uh, for every guest that he wasn't charging uh, but that added up the fine you so much it was like 10 million at the time and I got it down to I think something like a million something and he came in and made me manager of the quarter and so but, Trump appointed you at the time yeah he was he owned yeah, it with the comic this hotel with, with, yeah. Yeah, so then I left and went to work for Ian Schrager and that's the famous Studio 54 he invented the rope and through him you would I would meet the, the stars and they would come in and see him like he's friends with his kids and Madonna's kids are friends. So what did you do there? What was your job there? I was the corporate controller. But in my first week working for him, because I closed the books when I was working for Disney at night time, I was very good at adding up. And I mean adding up when you're counting all the cash receipts for every cash register on Disney and you have to change the date to the new day. You have, you're on the clock. So I remember adding up his books and it was a, a $20 million project. And they talked to Ando, and I said, you spent over a million dollars more. And they said, you can't be right. And I said, I'll add it up again for you. And I just added it up in the calculator and said, there you go. That's it. <laughs> so they were, he then came to me and said, I don't want you working in the corporate office. I just want you working for me. So I just got working for him. And then I was going to school to get my degree in finance and accounting at NYU. So I'd work for him for 11 years. And while I'm working for him, you know, like he would, he's... He would be like a, a billionaire, but he's, he's, he's not the 1%, but he's up there. Yeah. So he would buy a plane. So I'd learn how to buy a plane, how to manage a plane, how to manage a crew. Um, and then he would, you know, want to do yachts. And because he's in with all the stars, you get exposure to all this outer life that people have. So working for that for 11 years, I kind of had a big, uh, if you want, portfolio of I have contacts of yes. everybody. And you got a lot of experience in, in dealing in many different areas. What was his name again? Ian Schrager. He, he, he did the Studio 54, the f- most famous nightclub in the world. Yes. He invented the rope where you couldn't get in and he went to... Uh, <laughs> now listen, that was 11 years with him. Just hold it there a second. Short break on late lunch. Nigel McKenna, will you hear where he goes next? Don't go away. After Ian Schrager and uh, Studio 54, you then go, uh, Nigel, to work with Stephen Schwartzman. Now, 
tell our listeners who who is this guy? What does he do? Steven Schwarzman um, is a self-made billionaire. He's um, he, he he's a gentleman, but he um, he started own private equity group. And some people know um, BlackRock. That was a baby of um, a gentleman that worked for him that went and started his own company. But uh, Steven Schwarzman, he owns the he's the owner and chairman of Blackstone. Blackstone now is a partnership, but he yeah. he founded it, and he's the one of the most influential people in the world because. The company has close to like a trillion dollars in cash just floating around. And they're also the, the company that owns um, Xerox, they own uh, Hilton Hotels, they own Madame Tussauds, Universal. I think there's a park, some park coming to Ireland, like an outdoor camp park. Centre parks. Yeah, they own for that. Long, coming to Longford. They invested in that. In that so, as well. So this is a, a multi, a trillion dollar global business yeah he can buy countries put them in the yeah. so I, I work for him personally I'm his executive state manager so I manage all his properties all his staff his plane his boat um, and I travel around the world uh, make sure everything's ready for him so you're the advance party he obviously owns different places around the world and you have to go there to make sure when uh, Mr. Schwarzman is on his way there everything is 100% for him and the people coming there yeah what a job you have yeah, so and you know what this showed me? I have to jump back to yesterday. He was listening to us yesterday talking about the thrombosis. Not Mr. Schwartzman. Nigel, of course. And he took out of his bag here a minute ago. Tell them what you showed me you have in I your bag. I showed you my pressure socks. <laughs> He's a pair of pressure socks. We were talking about if you were flying yesterday. How many miles would you do in a year, roughly? 175,000. Air miles. Air miles. You. So I'm on a plane maybe... I was on a plane... Two years ago, I was on the plane every week, every Wednesday to London. And I'd land in London. I'd leave at 8, land in London at 8 take my shower, go to my meeting, go to Westminster, do what I had to do, then start making my way back, get my flight at five, and land back at eight o'clock in New York. And I was doing that every week for two years. And, because um, I, I had to be there. It's not like something you could do in a video conference. I do do video conferences, yeah. but this was something else that I could. And then, as time went on, I got shorter. But I'm always on the road, maybe every two weeks, I'm on a plane going somewhere. <laughs> you got value out of them socks? I got value so and I do take an aspirin every time I get onto the plane because it does Which help. We, which was mentioned here yesterday. Yeah, the, yeah. the doctor said maybe it doesn't nobody knows proof. But I I'm the, the doctor said I see because I with my heart and stuff I want it, and I'm always afraid too with the um I do take it. I take the aspirin as soon mm. as I get on that plane. I, but I take a baby aspirin. Mm. It's a smaller yeah, dose. Yeah. I don't take the full. So there's another tip from Nigel if you're listening today <laughs> and you're concerned about flying. But my word, you travel a lot. You're in one-to-one contact with this man as well. Do you ever reflect on the little fella that was in the fields round Kilcarely picking the strawberries and the spuds and where you are today? Oh, yeah, all the time. It's it's like when you're in a helicopter and you're flying over the Mediterranean, you know, from the airport and you're meeting, you're meeting presidents and you're meeting, you know, doing better parties for different people like Tony Blair or your, you know, Paris Hilton takes your picture and sends it to 43 million people. You know, it's... it's. She it's, did that. I saw it. This fella. This fella. Him and her. Himself in Paris. His old buddy Paris. You know yeah. that Paris Hilton one. How many did it go to? 43 million. So, I mean, it's just... But that's my job and I, I keep low key and I, you know, keep everything in the quiet. But behind the scenes, that's what somebody is turning the, the, the wheels. And then you hear people sometimes saying the 1%. Like, you know, I work for the 1% for 20 years. And... We hire maybe 60, 60, 60 to 68 people, you know, and after 9-11, the government did come in and start a tax at the 1% and then they were giving people bad press on the planes. 
And I was taking people to lunch and I fired maybe 70 people in a month. And it wasn't pleasant. And some of these people were housekeepers and pilots, co-pilots. Because you have a plane, the captain is the one saying the co-pilot. So if you don't need, you need a captain, but you don't, you can always rotate a captain. And flight attendants, because people didn't want to see owning a plane and different jobs. And people are saying, can you take this staff? And, you know, in a house, like if you look at a house like Dallas, you know, because everybody's seen Dallas. But if a house like that would be maybe two and a half million to run a year. And that'd be just in staff, cutting grass and maintaining the gardens. And that's a full-time job for people that's in, you know, that maybe, like me, you have a good education, have good upbringing, very ethical, good people, have families, they're making good money. And when someone says, let's tax the rich, I'm like, wait a minute, because these people tighten their belt, people are let go. Just out of, you know. Yes, it it, it trickles down and it affects everybody. You mentioned that house, because, uh, come back to this again, there are full staffs in these places that this man that you work for owns and they're there all the time. Yeah, well, you have a butler, you'd have uh, maybe three or four gardeners um, that went to school who had qualifications in mm. gardeners. You'd have a chef, you'd have a maid, you'd have a seamstress, you'd and have a laundress. And they're there all the time, Nigel, yeah. regardless if he's there or visits or whatever. They have to be on standby, so to speak. Is yeah, that and you it? have a full crew and the, and the yard. Yeah, because you don't want to hire new staff. Because the, yeah. the familiarity, yeah. and you're dealing with, you know, yeah, I can't get into deep, but you're dealing with like stuff that could be anywhere from 120 to 200 million, and mm. you know, you've artwork and you've stuff there that's irreplaceable. So you have a staff that you train mm. and you trust, and you, you know, they're all good, when you strong. Think, when you think of what he does provide, and the planes and the yachts and the travel and the houses and everything, my God, it's it like, is substantial. If you, it's like a castle. The, we have not just that; you have the cars in the towns, like the taxi drivers that you hire. To run people back and forth, you have a whole system of, of jobs that you give to people, and to get he gets he gets well respected in France and everywhere we go. You know, there's a message in there from your brother Kevin. Yeah, he says he's listening. <laughs> he says see you tomorrow. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Kevin. Do you know something about you? And I've I've I met you, of course, over there in New York. Uh, you you're a fella that hasn't changed. You never forget no where you've come from or who you are. No, it's important, and I and I do rub, rub elbows with like yes, like I mean I know, I know, anyway. <laughs> I know that that fellow with the hair. Yes, he wasn't. He, he employed him many years ago, but you've been working with him. I know. And yeah, him. when he when he came to New York, I organised his his event. You know, took care of him, and you know, I get to meet him and sitting in the same room with him the way I'm mm. sitting with you now. But that's just a job. But I don't never change. You know, and it's 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 good to know where you come from and where you've been and use that as an advantage because you're going to meet the same people, I think, on the way down. She might go up. It's a very good theory, I still have to say. What do you think? Just um, we have a couple more moments, minutes to talk. Just a couple of things in general. You're quite, you're very settled and happy in the states. Look, like any country, it has its issues. I talked to you before. Mm. The gun crimes, an awful thing that that happens there from time to time. The wall, will it be built? Won't it be built? The controversy. But you see, the the wall is just is just showman. He's just talking about it because the wall was built in two thousand and six. So all that's left in the wall is 33 miles. The wall itself, there was 400 and something miles built off a fence. And the other 300 miles is actually people going up and down in cars and infrared. And this 33 miles, the farmers objected to it because they in other words, pop out of domain. They're only getting 10,000. And they've been fighting with this since Bush administration. Then it kind of just went the way people forgot about it. Trump comes in and he's like, I want to finish this wall. Mm. And then he wants... he. People maybe in his campaign, he wants to take down the wall that's there now on the fence and put up a concrete wall. 
and that's where all the press is coming. But the wall is there. Only nine thousand people penetrated the wall. But you see, America is got takes in a million people every year, and you know we talk about uh, globalization and people don't like it, but it's here to stay. And America are very lucky because the people they get to get it make it so hard for them to get there. Even for people like me, they're taking six hundred legal make mm-hmm. them legal every year and 400 to make another so they're taking in a million people but everybody coming to America since it's so hard and there's no free lunch and when you go there you know you have to walk or you're out or you're gone you have ambition and ambition is the number one ingredient for success and and you have that by the bucket full and I have to go now back to Navin <laughs> and leave this conversation I'm delighted you came in to me today uh, and to have you here in the studio I wish you well thanks and very much we can call you in New York yes ah, anytime yeah Derek Murphy's been in touch I went to school with that fellow Nigel McKenna in Kilkerley we were great friends he's a top man delighted to hear him on LMFM this afternoon thank you Derek the Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk with over 150 new and used cars to choose from along with the full Renault commercial van range and finance arranged within the hour there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk We're back in East Coast Cookery School month of February and you do know this year that with Tara Walker it's a brand new series because it's Tara cooks the flavours of the Boyne Valley and today it's the whole hogs and Peter Whelan and as I stand here in the kitchen I It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Smile. We'll be talking to Peter in a moment. But look at those beautiful sausages going in there. Yeah, don't they look absolutely gorgeous? Big, big bangers. And these are pork and leek sausages. And Peter will be telling you a little bit more about them in a few minutes. But I'm going to make a toad in the hole as requested by yourself, Jerry. You always say you like all the modern food, but I think you like the old classics, really, don't you? I do. Thank you so much, Tara. You're giving away my old secrets when I'd be wigging her ear on the phone. Do this one for me. Do that one. But today I get my request. But then the other thing we're going to do which is a little bit it's not that alternative but it's interesting is Peter has brought his gorgeous chorizo from Slane not Spain as he'll tell you and we're going to do some chorizo 
and cider mussels. Very, very quick, lovely tea time treat, especially on these nice bright evenings, you know, light and tasty. So toad in the hole, it's a traditional dish, as you say, but the quality of the sausage in this dish is everything. Absolutely, because it's kind of the star of the show. We're going to make a batter now, but actually, you know, the sausage is where all the main flavour is coming from. So it is important to get a really, really good flavour going on. So I have the sausages in the uh, dish here, a good big roasting dish, and then we're going to put lots of oil over them and we're going to kind of half cook them. So if you imagine a toad in the hole is like a big, huge Yorkshire pudding with sausages sticking out of it. I have to put lots of oil on, not that I want to make the lovely sausages greasy, but I need to almost deep fry the batter in that oil when it comes out and it needs to be really sizzling hot. And this is actually um, collar of gold rapeseed oil from Clara Head. So let's get that in to the oven. So we're half cooking the sausages in loads of oil for the moment. So just temperature of the oven there and for how long? Yeah, I have it at a good 200 there now and probably about 10 minutes to sort of half cook the sausages. And in my jug here I have my 250 mils of milk and I've just popped two eggs in mix them all together whisk them up make sure do you know what I'd rather do this is a nice little tip actually for Yorkshire puddings as well I'd rather undermix and have a few lumps in there than overmix and activate the gluten in the flour so if you want you want the batter to be really 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 light and airy so if you overmix it's going to get kind of a bit doughy a bit bready that's not your goal at all so you know I'd happy there if I have a few lumps rather than overmixing and you'll allow that stand for the 10 minutes or so that the sausages are in the oven yeah look ideally you'd let it stand for longer even have half an hour to an hour if you can but just even the 10 minutes or so will be fine now it's very simple very very simple the main time is really resting the batter and then cooking it what would you say about toad and the hole in general is it an eat alone dish or is there anything that you could accompany it with well i just like to have some very very plain greens you know just for a bit of bitterness and a bit of sharpness so say if you had maria flynn's purple sprouting or her tender stem broccoli be gorgeous or sometimes i do sauteed spinach or actually what i do most of the time because i make this in my class casual suppers for friends we just do old-fashioned butterhead lettuce you've given me some of yours in the summer months it's gorgeous with a lovely kind of um sharp French dressing that's my favourite way because obviously the sausages are you know they're a little bit on the fatty side and they're they're rich and the batter is rich so you want something that really kind of like cleanses the palate nearly after the richness Peter Whelan is here with us you know him well from the whole hogs Peter thank you so much uh, for bringing your wonderful produce here to East Coast Cookery School uh, this afternoon have you ever done this before seen your no. stuff cooked first hand no actually Jerry. In, in all the years that I've been messing around with food I, this, I think this is the first and uh, I was delighted actually when Tara gave me the call I actually met Tara I think was at the um, the celebrations up with yourself there recently, and we were we were all very excited, and we're all in the Boyne Valley Food Series, very very excited. And Tara is doing an excellent job promoting all of our produce, and I'm delighted and honoured to be part of it as usual. Tell us about the sausages that Tara is using there in the toad and the hole. These are a, a pork and leek. Now I told Tara about a couple of flavours we do, and we do some like we say a sea salt and cracked black pepper. But I thought, and I think Tara agreed. The pork and the leek, pork and leek is the kind of the middle of the road sausage. You know, it's not, if somebody doesn't like something too peppery, it's just a nice, nice meaty kind of a dinner sausage. And even if people come into the market, say in Dublin or in the shop in Lobelstown, we always say to them, it's a safe bet, the pork and leek. You know, if you have kids even, you know, it's not one of the, like a chilli and jalapeno would be too much of a kick. So it's, yeah, it's a nice middle of the road sausage. But um, I was laughing when Tara was mentioning about uh, 
the sausages can be a bit fatty. And I was just, I was looking at myself and then I was thinking about you as well. Did they uh, lose weight and feel great? Are you trying to give me a hint or something for next year? Oh, Peter, <laughs> do you know something? You've just put a great thought into my head. That's going to stay yeah, with me yeah. now for well, the rest of now, the year. I wouldn't be shouting anything negative about the sausages now or anything. It wouldn't be the sausages that puts on the weight. It could be the few points. <laughs> Absolutely. You've taken another sausage here today. What's the other one yeah, you brought? That was one. It's a, it's going very well. That The black pudding apple and sage. We, we did an apple and sage and we still do it. An apple and sage sausage. But I came up with this idea that I'd mix a little bit of black pudding in with the apple and sage sausage. And even Susan, the wife, now doesn't like black pudding, but she loves it because it's a subtle. Uh, you can hardly taste the black pudding, but it's subtle. And uh, I'd like you to taste that. I mean, I brought a couple that you can bring home as well on Tara, just to give me an idea of what you think of them. But we're getting great feedback in both Lobenstown and the shop and, and the Honest to Goodness in Dublin. So it's one of our latest uh, developments. I think I hear sausages giving a little squeak in the yeah, oven there. Would I, be, would I be right? I'd say we're halfway there. Yeah, even maybe slightly more than halfway. Let's have a look. Oh, will you so, look at them? See the sizzle on the oil there. Now we want to get this batter onto the sizzle. Okay, so I'm pouring the batter over the sausages. A few little lumps in there won't bother me. Okay, straight on. And look, this is what we want to see. And the same if you were doing Yorkshire puddings in a big, you know, a muffin tray or whatever. It's actually started to cook at the edges. I Can see you it. see that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's nearly like it being deep fried. Can you see that there, Peter? Yes. And that's what's going to give you a lovely crispness to the batter. Pop a little bit of rosemary in and a little bit of thyme. Now, we were not going to eat the rosemary and thyme, obviously, but it's just going to give a little bit of flavour to the batter and then you just remove it before serving. And let's get that straight back into the oven. Another five to ten minutes. In the meantime, on the pan here, Peter was talking about the other uh, sausages he brought out to us, and you're just cooking these so we can have a taste yeah, of them. Yeah, these are the these are the black pudding, apple, and sage. I'm just cooking them up, like uh, you know when you see in the supermarket and they have a little tray of uh, sausages for you to have a taste. Just the same idea, and we can have a little taste and a chat about them now in a minute. So can we say, Tara, this is sort of our little entree from <laughs> yeah. Peter today? His sausages, and Peter, tell us again what what, what is in these sausages? There's uh, the black pudding, apple and sage. So there's three flavours there. But you'll get the sage uh, more than you'll get the black pudding. But that's deliberate because not everyone likes black pudding. So the black pudding is quite subtle. Tara, have you tasted these before? No, I have not. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm not going to say anything. I am going to taste, but I'm going to let Tara Walker, the expert, the woman herself. Look, I can see the black pud there Mm. in the sausage. They are gorgeous. Mm. They would have been lovely in the toad in the hole, actually. They really would have. They're so flavourful. They're really, really, and they're really moist, aren't they? Mm. Very, very tasty. Very tasty. And the sage is gorgeous in them. Isn't though, this is what this is what this man has and what he produces. Free range pork. Look at that in there. The real McCoy. It's gorgeous. I just can't stop eating it. Do I really have to talk? <laughs> we're all, we're all, we all have our mouth full here. Congratulations. That is fantastic. Did you like that one, Jack? Oh. You, you haven't tasted that one before? Never no. before, no. That's why I brought a few extra. Mm. I, thought, yeah, I thought you might like them. They are lovely. Yeah, they, they're one of the better um, sausages that we've have come up with, to be honest. I can see you up making the speech at Blossom Hair, and you have a special taste there, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, thanks, Jerry. Yeah, but no, there, and in fairness, they were cooked nice. Mm. And as I said to you earlier, on the pan, on the pan is the only way for me, anyway. The toad is about to jump out of the hole. <laughs> Let's have a look in here. Oh, yes. Look at the batter, really nice. Oh, and show that to Peter Whelan. Peter, come up here. Peter Whelan told me he's never oh, eaten God, toad yeah. in the never hole before. Oh, Jeez, that's gorgeous looking, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I can and look at your bangers there in the <laughs> middle of it. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. This actually belongs on a class I have called Casual Suppers for Friends. The idea yeah. being 
that if somebody called over for a cup of tea or a drink with you and they ended up staying for dinner, oh, yeah, they, you could throw this on yeah, so yeah, quickly. Yeah. As long as you have the sausages, the batter can be made so easily from a bit of milk and a bit of flour. And that's the total recipe in a pinch of salt, you know. Yeah. The reason I didn't make a gravy today was because I really wanted the sausages to stand out. I didn't want to kind of um, mask them in the flavour of yeah. the gravy. So uh, just have it as is. Okay. No, go on, Peter. Get stuck in there. I'll let yeah. you give the verdict on it. I know he's a little biased here. It's his own sausages, oh, well, but yeah. the combination of the batter and... I can't talk. <laughs> no. I, I'm like that here all the time I come recording with Tara, Peter. It's no surprise. Yeah, yeah. Ah, but that's gorgeous, isn't mm. it? Oh, God. Mm. It's lovely. Yeah, that is gorgeous. That's my first time eating toad in the hole. Won't be a last. Oh, no. Toad in the hole. I'll tell you this. Get making it. It's simple, yeah. but the great sausage is the key. Leek and pork in this one here, and we had the little taste of the others earlier on. We're heading to a short break on late lunch. Back to East Coast Cookery School in a moment because there's another very special dish being rustled up here by Tara Walker. And of course, our Boyne Valley flavours today come from Peter Whelan from the Whole Hogs. Welcome back to East Coast Cookery School where today flavours of the Boyne Valley being rustled up by Tara Walker are the beautiful produce of the man that lives between Cullen and Slane. Yes, Whole Hogs, Peter Whelan is with me. Now for a second dish, Peter, we're going to taste your is it chorizo or chorito how do you pronounce it um well it depends i think some of the spanish would say chorito but i think we we call it chorizo yeah and it's, obviously it's the catchphrase is jerry you can say it's the chorizo from slain not spain <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah that has really caught on to it that's my kind of tagline now everyone knows me as the, the chorizo and that's what i wanted it's like the black pudding in clonakilty i wanted to build a chorizo from slain you know that seems to be working so how do you produce this basically what's in it is um it's my own free range pork and deliberately because my pigs are out they're a bit fatter that's what you want you want a bit of fat in a chorizo uh, i have garlic from drummond house garlic and then we have a uh, cayenne pepper paprika salt and a little bit of fennel seeds you don't really get the fennel seeds sometimes you can see them and taste them but the cayenne and the paprika kind of takes over there's, as you'll taste there's a nice bit of a kick to it so. And how long does it take from you start to prepare that till it's ready to go on sale? Uh, three weeks to a month, yeah. So, so it'll it be takes ready. that time to mature? Yeah, three weeks in a dryer. It's, it'll be the same process as, you, you've heard of biltong, the South African dried meat. So basically you're circulating air and you're, you're taking the moisture out of the product. Interesting, really, really interesting. So here we have lovely mussels from where? Yeah, so I got these from Kerwin's in Drogheda. What I'm doing here is I'm just debearding them. So... I have the muscle here and you can see just along the inner sort of shell, there's a little bit of a beard basically. And I'm just pulling that out, try and pull it out as much as you can. So the rule of thumb is you only want to eat them when they're open. Okay, so if you have some closed ones in your bowl of mussels, when you get your bowl of mussels, don't eat them if they're closed. But then also, if they're open before you cook them, discard those ones because that means they're dead. I have a fairly large pot, like... You know, you want to just check that the quantity of mussels you have fits into the pot, you know what I mean? So I'm happy with that. And I'm going to start out with a little bit of rapeseed oil. I have a good high temperature in that. And as always, the reason I like rapeseed oil is it has a good high burning point. So I'm going to pop some shallot and garlic in with my chorizo. And it's actually gorgeous because I was looking, um, I was thinking of actually popping some fennel into this recipe. But then when I started chopping the chorizo from the whole hogs, I saw there was actually some fennel seeds in it. So that's ideal. So a little bit of garlic and my schlot. What am I adding, Jerry? Salt. Why? Because it stops it burning. Yes. So I have a little bit of my Oriel sea salt from Clara Head here. 
and that'll just slow down the caramelization and now my chorizo is going in and I've chopped it fairly small um, I've taken some of the skin off not all of the skin just the bits that might have been slightly thicker or came off easily and we're just going to let those brown off for a moment or two so you have a can of a well-known brand of cider here yes. and uh, we're not cider drinkers in this house so this is probably here since the last time I made a cider gravy obviously Dan Kelly's cider local cider would be lovely to use in this as well and I'm just going to let those sweat for a moment or two longer we just want to get a bit of coloration on our shallot and garlic it won't take too long so Peter, what about this? Toad in the hole was first earlier on for you. Have you had the mussels and chorizo before? No, actually I haven't. I know this is great. This is all firsts for me, so I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, and it's a kind of a quickish dish, isn't it, Tara? It's actually so quick. This is an ideal one for if you're coming home late from work, you know, or mm. I love actually in the summer months if you're out in the garden a bit and just throw on a few mussels, have them out in the garden in the nice bright evening because there's plenty of protein in them and they're very low fat actually. So if anyone is out there on your lose weight, feel great program, it's a great one. The chorizo obviously does add a li- another little bit of fat to them, but they're a real kind of healthy fast food and lovely and light. And we're right in the pan there in East Coast Cookery School. We can't get any closer. Oh, oh can I, smell the Oh, fennel. can I what? Peter, look at that. Oh, you're getting the blast of fennel off that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And you put that in a few weeks back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. Okay. So, okay. Now, our onion and shallot, or sorry, garlic and shallot has um, caramelised a little bit. The chorizo has crisped up just a little bit. What, three, four minutes in there. Mm. And now I'm going to add my cider in. About a half a can. Really depends on how many, you know, bags of mussels you're cooking. And now in with the mussels lid on and just let those sit there for about three to four minutes until they all open and then we're ready to serve and they're cooked as quick as that there's no more to it very fast yeah absolutely you wouldn't even get time to drink the other half of the can (laughs) (laughs) he's some boy that peter whelan isn't he he's always thinking outside the box <laughs> I have to agree with you, Peter. Yeah, I have to agree. Anyway, they just uh, get the couple of minutes in there and then we'll uh, have the proof in the pudding and we can taste them. And again, do you say about these? It's just really a nibble, is it, as such, by itself? Well, for me, I have a big bowl of them. My daughter loves them as well. She's only six, you know, and we'd have a nice big chunky bread, like so a ciabatta or, um, you know, like a nice baguette or something like that. And I'm happy enough with that then. That'll mop up the juices and just... Add to the whole experience as Tara chops away at the lovely parsley there on our board. That will be the garnish at the end of the day. And when I tell you that the Spaniards in Dublin are flocking to Peter for his chorizo as well, it says it all. They know their stuff and they're buying off this man from the northeast. And there's so many other things you can do with the chorizo. Like last week in St. John's and St. Paul's School, we did a, a paella with it. Oh, yeah. um, and whilst uh, chorizo is not traditional in paella, here in Ireland, if you have a nice chorizo, it's a great way of getting lots of flavour in. Mm. Another thing I love to do is just fry off the chorizo on the pan, plain and simple. And then add a tin of tomatoes to it, add some rosemary, a little splash of um, cream, let it reduce down a little bit and then just toss it through some pasta. Another great kind of, you know, Monday or Tuesday night meal where you just need a bit of sustenance and a bit of flavour, you know. Okay, back to the pot. I'd say we're getting near to the time when these uh, bad boys will be coming out and we'll start to pick them from their shells. While we're waiting, Peter, just a quick word. 
you have opened in Lobenstown now, Peter mm-hmm. Whelan and Whole Hogs have their own retail outlet. Yeah, yeah, we've been under pressure. Like, I've often, well, once or twice over the years, I've been on your programme and a lot of people, like, kind of always felt bad coming out of the, the show when people would ask, where can we get your stuff locally? And, uh, I, you know, but it kind of evolved organically. So now we have taken over Ender Riley's Butchers in Lobenstown. Uh, he was a third generation butcher and um, we heard he was pulling down the shutters on the 30th or the 31st of December and I had a chat with him. A gentleman to deal with and we had a nice gentle handover and now the whole hogs is up and running in Lobenstown just up the road from where we rear the pigs like it is in the middle of nowhere Lobenstown it's a lovely little sleepy village and I mean that in the nicest possible way and the people are beautiful and they're very supportive but there wouldn't be enough people in Lobenstown alone to keep it going in the longer term and I do, but I went in with my eyes open realising that so we're looking forward to bringing people from Navan, Duleek, Bellewstown and all around you know people who like their food will come mm. and I know they will and, you know, so we're looking forward to the challenge. Look at that, Peter. Oh, They're all yeah. open and winking oh, at us now. Yeah, I can see them looking at me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they really are. Look at them. Yeah. So oh, my just God. Just open the lid there and we can see they're all open. And look how lovely and plump that my mouth's actually watering now. I'd be, this so is really up my alley, yeah. The smell mm. of the garlic is lovely, isn't it? Beautiful. Absolutely. So then it's just a matter of uh, getting a slotted spoon. I usually just get a slotted spoon at first just to let the juices sit at the bottom because you might want to reduce the juices a little bit. Just get those all out. And we've, this is plenty. And you see the chorizo at the bottom there. It's fabulous. Let's get them all out. And then what I might do, I'm going to just taste the sauce at the moment, the juices, and see if I want to reduce it down a little bit. So just have a little taste. No, the chorizo is so good. It's given so much flavour that it can withstand quite a lot of um, juice in there, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, even though it's quite diluted. So let me get a ladle and we'll get all those nice juices out and then we're going to top with some of our nice parsley. Ah, uh, yeah, Peter. Somebody has to do it. Let's get a taste of these beautiful mussels. What a combination. Isn't it gorgeous? Isn't it so nice? And I mean... I love the traditional Moule Marnier, you know, with the white wine and the garlic just on their own. But this adds a whole other dimension of flavour. And the, the fennel in the chorizo there is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, Peter. Yeah, you can get it. Actually, you don't normally get the fennel. If you eat the chorizo raw, as in when I say raw, you know, cold, you don't normally. But the fennel seems to come out in that now, whatever yeah, way you've done. Yeah, and it would. I mean, we would always toast yeah. the spices and bring the spices well, back to life a little bit. So f- spices, when they're cold, tend to oh. just not give off the flavour. But once you warm them up they start to really release all their flavour and aroma. Yeah. You see, Jerry, I, I knew there was a reason I put the fennel in. I just, I just didn't know what it was. <laughs> He's found out here today. Anyway, we leave you in great spirits from East Coast Cookery School. Tara Walker cooking the flavours of the Boyne Valley this year on late lunch. Big thank you to Peter Whelan and the Whole Hogs. Don't forget to check them out in Lobenstown. Thanks a million, Peter. Thanks very much, Jerry and Tara. And to you, Tara, yes. Thanks so much for uh, hosting us once more. And don't forget, the recipe's available on eastcoastcookeryschool.ie. And great to see you as always, Jerry. See you next month. Yes, we will indeed. We'll see her before that. She's here on Pancake Tuesday, uh, rustling up the pancakes for everybody and all in sundry. That's next Tuesday with Tara. Now, Kentucky Derby race night at Dock Stadium this Friday. Would you like to go along? Yes, the Kentucky Derby is known as America's greatest race and the most exciting two minutes in sport. And it's been replicated with dog and horse racing at Dundalk Stadium this Friday. Two tickets to give away today and all winners Monday to Friday going into a hat for a 
four-course meal at the View restaurant in the stadium. Question today, trap six, what colour vest or uh, colour does the dog wear in trap number six in Greyhound Racing? 086-1800-658 with your answers by text or WhatsApp. Up next after news and sport on Late Lunch, Collier the Robber, Fact or Fiction. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Cajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. Collier the robber. Growing up as a child, yes, we heard about it all through our lives. This fellow, this highwayman who robbed the good and looked after the poor, a type of Robin Hood character from the northeast. Did he exist? Did he live? Is he a real man? Recently, a new headstone has gone into the old Cord Cemetery, the ancient cemetery in Drogheda, to mark the place where he supposedly lies. I know somebody who knows all about this, and I said I have to bring him into late lunch this afternoon. He's been out of circulation for a little while, but he's certainly back with a bang today. Historian Sean Collins, welcome. Thank you, Jerry. It's great to be back. It's great to have you with us. Well, tell me, I've been saying this all day, fact or fiction, this fella? Well, I feel I wouldn't be an expert on folklore, and I would place Collier in folklore. So maybe it's not a historian you want. It's a folklorist. Um. I have my doubts as to whether he existed or not, but some papers I've read recently uh, suggest that he did. Um, The stories that are told about him, uh, you know, if you Google the whole thing of the highwayman, you'll find the same stories about Crotty the Robert down in Watford, or uh, even poor old Dick Torpen in England. And um, there is one book uh, that I've come across, uh, which I brought with me today. I have it in my hand and, here. Um, it's uh, The Life and Times of Michael Collier. The, what's the title? The, it's The Life and Adventures of Michael Collier, the celebrated Leinster Highwayman. And it was printed at the Drogheda Argus office, 6 Peter Street, Drogheda. And that wasn't printed today or yesterday. It was not. A that- long, long time ago. But can I ask you something? Because something strikes me when I look at this here. I'm looking to see a name of the person who wrote this and there is no name attributed to this. There's no name on it uh, and that's, as you can see, that's a printed version. Um, I have to say, I I, I take the opportunity to thank uh, Mrs Doreen Bourne uh, from Ballsgrove. Uh, Some years ago, I met Doreen and she presented me with that book and it had been in her family for years and she felt that I should have it. And to my delight, I had a photocopy up to that, but now I have an the, actual edition. The original. And uh, it's lovely to have that. Uh, the book, so thanks, Dorian, if you're listening in there. Um, the book, for me, there's no author. Uh, everything in it is, it's a real, uh, like a moralistic tale that young men shouldn't get involved in these this, uh, this behaviour, this uh, voice, as it refers to it. Um Everything in it is very imponderable in that everybody is Mr. C or Mr. H or Mr. We never hear a name. Uh, He robbed everybody, but we never hear who the person was he actually robbed. Um, Also, where he lived, you know, he lived near Westgate or he lived on the hill of Ballastown. We never actually hear something that defines exactly where he lived. I've read a number of papers by different people that suggest years that he was born. So I, I have three different birth dates at this stage, three different years he lived in. Uh, 
also he according to that book uh, he died in 1849 from the cholera uh, an academic paper I read the biggest outbreak of cholera in Drogheda was in 1835 mm. so I'm not saying he didn't die of cholera. Yes. Uh, the book says he was buried in the cord by candlelight. Now, why would they bury somebody by candlelight uh, and uh, in a non-marked grave so nobody knew where it was? So how come there's a headstone in the cord today on a grave if nobody knew? Uh, that's what that's what baffles me because it does, it, there was a headstone has been placed on a grave and there's somebody in that grave, but it's not Michael Collier. And I think that's a bit sad. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't like to think that in a hundred years' time they'll put a headstone over your grave with, with Joe's soap on it, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and so I, I think that's very disrespectful. I also am amazed that uh, the Cloud Cemetery is protected under the National Monuments Act. And if you disturb ground a National Monument, you have to have a licence from the uh, Department of uh, the Environment mm. uh, or Heritage, the Heritage Section, to the stove ground there. I, I wonder did the people that did that well, had, had the had the That's questions for but, them to answer as well. You yeah. also brought here today, and I just want to, to move on to it. You brought, and I have to say, the writing on this is absolutely beautiful. It's it's a school child that obviously wrote the, this. This this comes from the Folklore Commission in, in 1937 in an endeavour. Uh, by the new government to preserve the folklore and tales and stories and and cures and poems and rhymes that exist in the country. They issued all the primary schools with a special copybook. You can see it on the facsimile, uh, where they asked the children to take a copybook home and write down the stories that maybe their granny or their granddad or somebody had in the family, and all sorts of stories are written down. They're all now available online. And uh, this is typical of what you'd find in Loudon Mead. It was collected from a Mrs. McQuillan in Mel by a pupil of St. Vincent's School. Where I attended, let me say, many uh, years uh, later. <laughs> and the, in the, the, the copper print handwriting uh, comes from... The, they always picked the child in the school who was the best writer. So all the stories were collected, and then that child had the job of writing them all into the copybook. So you'll always find they're in pristine. Oh my God! The writing on this and is like, beautiful. If you read the little story there to see how much, like Collier, has immersed himself in the whole folklore notion. Yes. Uh, see the last lines. Yeah, I it. want to read that because I, it's beautiful. I, I've read the whole thing, but I'll just read the last couple of lines. When Collier died, this is in the handwriting of the child in St. Vincent's School, he was buried in the Cord Cemetery, uh, Thomas Street, Trotter. Some say he was buried under the footpath outside the Cord Cemetery. Now, oh, yeah. see, the no, plot thickens. But this is what I'm saying. There's no... There's no official record. There's no information on that basis. They weren't even kept. Births, deaths and marriages records start officially in 1864, you know. But when you read the book, um, highway, uh, the, the problem of highwaymen emerges in England in the 1600s. And so Collier's operating at the very end of the mm. era, I think, as far as that goes. And uh, it was so, such a problem in England in 1683, they brought out what they called the Highwayman's Act. And it was to deal with the highwayman. And whoever wrote this book on uh, Collier, um, um, they addressed the Highwayman's Act very well. They said that uh, under the terms of the Act, if uh, the highwayman would torn King's evidence... 
uh, and betray his gang, he could be shipped off to the army, on condition that at least two members of his gang were hung. So if you read this book, you find Collier toned evidence went off to the army and a number of his men were hung. You know, so it fits in perfectly with the terms of the okay of the it was written towards that uh, uh, as well. I have I've I've taken an extract from the uh, Navin Historical Society here on Michael Collier, and it gives his date seventeen eighty to eighteen forty nine. Collier the robber, they say, Um, real Robin Hood, never really guilty of any crime. He robbed people but never hurt anybody. Well, it's said funny. It was mentioned recently in the local media. uh, uh, Somebody said that he actually only killed one person so he wasn't that bad well according to this he he actually didn't hurt anybody in his time but look at it it said here that one of his most famous exploits was when he robbed the Dublin Belfast mail coach at Bloody Hollow on the great road between Drumcondra and Swords right and it goes on to say uh, he was in trim jail he broke out swam the bind to escape his pursuers these are some of the things he did in his life the obelisk bridge people would be familiar with just out here in in Oldbridge, not far from where we sit today. Uh, there he was hidden in a big uh, consignment of potatoes as he was being chased by the law to catch him and he escaped again. And then tying in with what you said a second ago, Sean, uh, that um, he was sent to the penal settlement in Australia where he subsequently joined the British Army. Hmm. Because he had torn King's evidence. Which ties in with what you uh, said a moment ago. Yeah, in, in one book it said that he took what they called the black money, which was a mm. farmer's money. And a number of his gang members who were from the Ballastown area were hung. But, you know, it's a very, very romanticised story. You know, Are you uh, saying to me that there is no fact in history to back this up? What I'm saying is I, I, I have no issue with the man at all. <laughs> uh, but I've never seen an academic work that would actually source the information. Back in the 1990s, uh, we had a symposium in the town on heritage. And Barbara O'Flynn, who's the uh, head of the um, folklore department at UCD, uh, we asked her to come and talk on folklore. Mm. And so what she opted to do was to speak. Her team was the highwayman in Irish folklore because of the tradition of Collier in this area. And she gave, a, to a capacity audience, she gave a very, very entertaining lecture. And it really was fascinating. But... I chaired that proceedings and I always remember the first question when we invited questions from the floor. Uh, a man stood up and asked, what year was Collier born? And Barbara Flynn replied, did he exist? You know, so... <laughs> maybe, maybe that just but, uh, did he exist? summed that, it all up. Yeah, but it's, it's um, as I said, if you, if you go into Waterford and read about Crotty the Robber, the stories are so similar and written in such flowery language. Mm. Uh, that's what really makes me wonder. As I said, I'm sure the man might have existed, but I'd love to see a properly sourced academic work. Yes, you know, yeah. to, to balance up the various points he's making. Uh, here, uh, some questions coming into us on WhatsApp this afternoon: oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight. If he turned traitor, uh, would that have been the reason why he was buried by candlelight? Possibly. Um, if you think about it at the time um, in the eighteen in the eighteen forties, we didn't have electric light, we didn't have anything like that. Um, if you went into the Cod Cemetery by light of a candle at the moment, you'd probably break your neck mm. uh, and fall. And there are some footpaths in it. 
Um, but, you know, it still begs the question. It's an imponderable. If someone says, yeah, he was buried in the cod on such a day and such a time and here's the record. But there's not. There's none. Buried it by candlelight. I believe, says another listener, there's a plaque to him in Tobororum, uh, Navin, off Ludlow Street. Somebody's saying there's a plaque there to him. In one story uh, of his life, it says that's where he lived. Um, I'll tell you another story when you when you mentioned that, which I'm always amused by. Many, many years ago, uh, we were discussing. I, I can tell you exactly how many years ago it was because it was the week before my wedding. Um, we were going to Dublin and uh, there was a, a road race on the main road. So we decided to go up the country roads through Ballastown. And of course, the discussion came up about Collier the Robber. And uh, my late, my late uh, father-in-law, Joey Marr, who was quite a legend himself uh, when it comes down to it but uh, they were talking about Collier the Robber and I was saying I never saw a picture of him there was no picture and even in the book uh, it suggests that uh, a local solicitor asked him would he sit for uh, Tumulty to paint him Tumulty was a portrait painter that lived in the town uh, at that period and he refused Oh, but Joey said to me, oh, there is, there is a picture of him, you know. And I said, well, and he said, you'll see it now. We're going to the back of the airport. He said, Collier's picture is in the boot in. So I was really intrigued to see this picture. And uh, Joey insisted it was there. And we went into the boot in and uh, we said to the barman, uh, you know, where is the picture of Collier the robber? And he said, oh, it's in there. He said, go in and look. And so in we went and looked. And here was this painting in very old-fashioned style hanging on the wall of a fellow with a hat pulled down over his eyes and a mask pulled up over his nose. So <laughs> the, the picture was two eyes and a cat, you know. And, and <laughs> so, that was in Charlie Hockey country uh, as well, by the way. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, for the period he lived in, the, the painting was uh, like a Dick Torpen type character who was about 100 years before then, you know. And uh, so that, that's that's how much Collier has gone into folklore and has been regurgitated and regenerated. Uh, you know, like Robin Hood, you know, does, can anybody prove that Robin Hood existed? Mm. You know, uh, like, do you believe in Robin Hood? John's you know? been on there to say, with him having three birthdays, Jerry, well, I'll leave the rest up to yourself. <laughs> so, you know, that's he makes more comment there, but that's really the start of it, and, and that suggests, well, folklore. Collier the Robber, folklore. I feel, it's, I, I feel, as I said, the man could well possibly have existed. I have no issue with that if someone felt he was, but I can't see any definite records. And I would love someone to write a good article and, and tell us, you know... With proper sources, research, sources. Yeah, in uh, fact, rather than dirt yeah, far, left saying, far, It's in this or it's in that. Mm. You know, you need to write it down and, and tell us where anyway, it is. Anyway, Sean Collins, been done, you've you know? uh, made your return to the airways with a bang this afternoon, let me say. I'm sure there'll be plenty chittle-chattle about this uh, from uh, late lunch this afternoon. Thank you so much for dropping in. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Sean. Anyway, that's it for today on Late Lunch. We'll be back with the final show of the week, Friday, 1.30. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Cajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.